Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a fat, hypoglycemic man called Sam Foster who dreams of being a police officer but having repeatedly failed the key basic physical exams has to settle for being a mall cop. He tries to make the best of the situation and takes his job very seriously, though this earns him derision and insults from his protege and trainee mall cop friend-ish, Sims. However, on the eve of Black Friday, Sims' true nature is revealed when, after the mall closes, he takes the store vendors hostage and starts to rob the place blind. He didn't count on one thing, though. Sam Foster is still in the building. Can this schlubby loser rise to the occasion? Can this tubby no-hoper prove his critics wrong? Can this flabby sack of shit save the day? Are just some of the questions I would be positing if this was a adaptation of the Kevin James classic Cool Bart Mopop. No, sorry, that's wrong. Ball Mart Paul Mop. No, that's wrong again. More Plot Cool Pop. No, that's not right. Paul Blood Mall Cop. Fourth time's a charm. This is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a lardy fat ass who might just have a heart as big as his waistline, Sam Foster. Hi. I liked it better when I was the general of Megaforce or something in previous weeks. But well, you've let yourself go. That'll do. So, this week, Danny reviews Andrea Arnold's acclaimed drama American Honey, which critics are saying is the greatest film about honey since that remake of The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage. Plus, I give my thoughts on Ava DuVernay's 13th, a sweeping documentary on the history of black oppression in America. It filled me with such righteous anger, I immediately sat down and wrote a string of excruciatingly bad, expletive-laden poems and posted them to every privately owned prison and immigration detention centre in the US. In my defence, I was blind drunk at the time. We also revisit some of our favourite old topics as we discuss weirdly ambitious franchise announcements, ill-advised Disney remakes and whitewashing controversies. And Danny gives me the latest lowdown on what's hot at the London Film Festival, along with some intimate details about Peter Bradshaw's love life. All that should leave just enough time for me to watch the new Star Wars Rogue One trailer for the first time and react to it live, with an instant textual deconstruction in the style of celebrity Slovenian philosopher Slavoj Žižek. I don't know much about him or psychoanalytic philosophy, so the plan is just to knock back a few whiskeys and yell about Lacan and communism in a shitty European accent. Um, yes, I have been drinking more than usual lately. <laughs> That's okay. why there's so many references to drinking. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter 
Peter Fitch Films by David Lynch Films short, films six hours long We've got films up to your gills With films, 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 movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun Georgia Mills has written in. She says, Have you guys heard about the leaked Mulan remake script? I think it's great that the white man is finally having his day. What other films could be improved with a white man saving the main character? So this is a reference to a story that uh, Disney's live remake of Mulan, one of their many things on their state of live remakes, is uh, the script leaked and it turns out that the male romantic lead was going to be a white dude. Apparently, in the script, the lead of the film is a 30 something European trader who only helps the Chinese Imperial Army because he's infatuated with Mulan. Obviously, oh, great reason to help someone. Well, sure. The only reason. It's a well written script. They think of these things. There was obviously a pretty negative reaction right away. Social media was up in arms and it seemed to work because um, Disney then turned around and were like, don't worry, Asian leads. Everyone's going to be Asian. Brilliant. Please relax. It's, so there's a happy ending to yeah, the story. I like have to wonder why they thought of this in the first place yeah that is a bit off this is probably one of the few live action uh remakes which i think is would be good purely because they'd have to cast all these asian actors yeah well now now yeah. they definitely do but like it was one of those things that came out of oscars so why is that uh there were any uh, nominations for black people but like how many asian actors can you name full stop absolutely who yeah. aren't uh especially american asian yeah like i can just i'm just thinking about zhang yamal movies and a few Korean people from, you know. Can you name the actors in those movies? Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> That's one. Is she in a Zhang movie? Sure. Hero, isn't she in Hero? She, maybe she is. Oh, was that just like incredibly racial memory? It was like, all oh, the Chinese people <laughs> are in that movie Hero, I remember. Um, yeah, but no, that's a really, that is a really good point. It would be cool. I mean, because they tend to be played by the same, like you say, like the same small selection of people, like Ken Watanabe is like always in it. And, yeah. You know, these types of guys. Actually, if you look at the... He's Japanese, Sam, so... But he is Asian. <laughs> but Mulan is China, right? It's Chinese. I'm not story. saying he should be or would be in okay, the I'm just, remake. Okay, I just want to make it clear. Okay. It's Japanese. It's very um, nationally sensitive of you. But if you look at the cast list for the original animated Mulan, there's a lot of familiar names on that as well i don't have it in front of me because i didn't i just thought of this on the top of my head i didn't prepare saying this eddie murphy's the dragon yes he's not particularly chinese but some of the other also donny osmond for some reason is like the singing voice of the um the romantic lead he's not chinese he's not chinese <laughs> he's incredibly white so there he's was a, a bit of whitewashing in terms of the um the singing yeah the singing was somewhat whitewashed has to be said as for George's question, what moves have been improved by a white guy saving the day? Blade? <laughs> um, Shaft? Foxy <laughs> uh, Brown? Coffee? <laughs> this is just black postation. Uh, Men yeah. in Black? Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite. Yeah. Nixon saves his life at the end. Every Will Smith movie. My Saki kind of answer. Snarky. Saki. Um, was 12 Years a Slave because that actually is what happens in that film. Oh, yeah. Gets saved by the benevolent white guy. Thank God. Woo! Thank God for the nice white man turning up at the end. The other thing I was going to say about this story is that it possibly shows the beneficial side to um, the tendency of studios to bow to fan pressure now. Yeah. Because um, that's become an increasing trend. I think it's probably helped to drive the sort of nostalgia fests 
and uh, obviously the force awakens was like this huge blockbuster built around you know servicing what the fans want um and social media pressure and the nerds writing on the blogs yeah can have a big impact and i think um things like this show you that you know can the impact can be really positive because uh everyone shouts and stamps their feet on the sure. internet and they're like well actually it probably would be a bit weird could we potentially in a sort of like rickroll fashion just suggest something insane and if enough people demand it it would just happen that would be brilliant yeah it's like i i want uh brian cox to be the new bond and then just like if, if enough people Giant petition online campaign <laughs> he would be yeah yeah that's the actor brian cox not the prof- mm. actually maybe the professor Why maybe not? the professor which i don't know which would be funnier we'll discuss this in a meeting later Jazdeep Bagger got in touch. We always love to hear from Jazdeep. He sent us two messages. The first one, he says the following. The presidential race is creating some heat between Voight and De Niro. John wants people to vote for Trump, but Robert doesn't want to go anywhere near Trump. This shows once again that Robert De Niro is a ledge. Great yeah. punning, Jazdeep. Fantastic wordplay. And he says, by the way, you three have a great podcast. I've listened to every episode at least twice now. Keep up the great work. Jazdeep. That's really I, kind, Jazdeep, and I'm are, a bit you okay? disturbed by how like many hours of us talking you've listened to. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry too. That was just weird. It's like uh, we just did our 90th episode. Each one is about 45 minutes long, and I don't I don't dare to perform the mathematics to work out the listening that, that con- constitutes. But yeah, thank you very much. Um, and it has been interesting watching the um, Hollywood Titan Robert De Niro face off against. Well, probably the only guy with more stature than he has in Hollywood, John Voight. Well, this made me think. This is a bit of broad generalization. Uh, but that's, that's always a good start. But Trump's base is like the South, right? The sort of Bible Belt red states. Am I right in thinking that? That's where his main demographic is? Sure. But like John Voight was like in Deliverance, the most damaging film to the reputation of the South ever. But like he's... <laughs> Like a Republican guy? That's like, true. Why did he make the movie Deliverance? His whole political career has probably been uh, <laughs> repentance for that. Yeah. Like, snooty East Coast view of uh, um, of what the people of the South are like. Yeah. They're all like, you know, adult rapists or whatever. So I was just I was just like, boy, that, and your film choices make no sense of your political opinions. That's true. You've got to make a buck, you know? Yeah. And then Anaconda is a very liberal film. <laughs> <laughs> He's in that as well. And Jazib also linked us to an interesting article about Guy Ritchie signing on to do a live-action remake of Aladdin. He says, this looks interesting. I wonder who will play Aladdin. Vinnie Jones? I think that's a great idea. It should definitely be Vinnie Jones. That would be perfect casting. That's the kind of whitewashing I'm on board with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous yeah. whitewashing. Usually I don't like it, but I'll make an exception for that. Yeah, this is uh, weird. I didn't read this story, did you? Yeah, just basically signed on to direct. The script's going to be from the writer john august who wrote um big fish okay and yeah it's just part of this disney whole the whole catalog must be so easy to be in a meeting at disney now they're just looking at their own wikipedia page like yeah that one next aladdin why not yeah do you think it's because guy ritchie is wrapped and finished completed his king arthur movie king arthur colon legend of the sword yeah I have a suspicion will be a total crock of shit. It looked really bad. The trailer looks bad. Early buzz is not good. So you think he's like, I got to get a job now. Well, actually, people come out. That was my first reaction when I saw this yeah. news. Was like, I felt a little bit of relief for Guy Ritchie that his career has not been destroyed by this absolutely mental King Arthur movie. But he still looks really weird. But Aladdin just is a bit more problematic to adapt. I would say Middle Eastern cast. Um, it's like. 
people. When you say problematic, do you mean just like that another thing where they, you know, could uh, end up casting loads of white people and it would be bad? Or well, that. But I just I've just compared to something like the Jungle Book. I know that was like you know a technical milestone, but that just strikes me as a bit more straightforward and easier to pull off than Aladdin, which is. Well, that, Aladdin's bit, also got um, loads more characters. It's also and... actually rammed with ethnic stereotypes. Yeah. So I think you probably have to tread a bit more carefully around them than you would do in a cartoon. You know, like... And also, he's going to fill Robin Williams' shoes, you know? That's true. Those are big shoes to fill. Who do you cast as a genie? Statham? <laughs> <laughs> well, he is funny. <laughs> and he can think on his feet, can't he? Normally in combat situations. But... Actually, you know, maybe this would be a good thing. Like Mulan, you know, they'd, be, they'd have to cast actors of Middle Eastern descent. I think this is something that we're really going to need the um, angry nerds on board with. The angry progressive nerds. social justice warrior nerds. Um, to make sure that the cast is, you know, as Middle Eastern as possible, and the movie isn't accidentally incredibly racist. If they cast like Sheila Burf as Aladdin and put him in like those sort of uh, <laughs> like a waistcoat that's always open and a fez and stuff, and have him like leaping about the rooftops yeah. of Baghdad, I don't and, think it's going to work. And Andy Serkis as a boo. <laughs> he loves playing chimps and monkeys. That's what he loves to do. It's like his favorite thing. Yeah, Toby Kebbell as the parrot. <laughs> Yeah, those actors just don't want to be anywhere near a costume these days. Just they put me in a leotard. The only costume they wear is blue, covered in dots. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Superheroes, are you bored of them? No. No. I love them. More, more, more. Well... A slight diversion from the superhero genre, but connected, is there's a film going to be called Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, which is all about the creator of Wonder Woman, William Marston, and it's going to be played by Luke Evans. Was there something, I'm vaguely remembering hearing about the origins of Wonder Woman, but was there something that the guy who created her was like really into bondage or something? Well, this is the thing. So he uh, had a lived with his wife who's going to be played by Rebecca Hall and a third woman in a sort of menage a trois and they're on to BDSM and he invented uh, the first lie detecting machine right they're like content with uh, blood pressure so the sort of the sort of rope of truth whatever lasso lasso of truth and uh, yeah the sort of he's a progressive guy and I think he was into the idea of like loving submission just let the women take control tie me up do what you want yeah, because she's got like yeah she yeah the list of truths she ties people up ties people up makes them tell the makes truth them say stuff yeah pretty sexy it's pretty much just really his cool. life except um, she's sort of tying up villains and making them just confess their crimes rather than tying up you know lovers and making them say sexy stuff yeah but um that's which is what happened with his life <laughs> <laughs> it'd be great if like every single comic strip was actually just like some crazy just, kinky just, sexy like, ad you just sort of um, put lemon juice on it or something and it reveals the like biographical underpinnings of the story it's all deeply erotic yeah it's, it's fascinating stuff and Luke Evans ever since High Rise I want to see him do another meaty dramatic role yeah absolutely and I just saw Rebecca Hall and Christine and she is awesome in it I've always sort of like thought she was good but then she was in this movie and I was like oh my god Rebecca Hall you can really act. That's, Why did you yeah. do that before? That's great. I, I really like that feeling when you see people really cut loose and get into a really good role. Yeah, so them together. I can't wait to see the crazy sex they have. It's like they've both done this uh, these breakout movies. They're like, that's all super acting for me now all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds... Well, they're both very attractive as well, so the film sounds like it could be highly erotic. I hope so. And I'm on board with that. 
I'm all for more erotica in cinema. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen The Girl on the Train yet. I had a bit of a steamy trailer. Everyone says it's totally shit. But is it going to be some like... But is it going to be hot? <laughs> well, Luke Evans in it. Does he get like his dick out? Is like... Luke Evans in it as well? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you see his bum or I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I hope so. Danny, Hello. you've been continuing your um, non-stop film watching at London Film Festival. Yeah. Seeing a horrifyingly large number of movies. Seen as... What's the total number that you've seen now? Well, totally... For the entire festival, like including the pre-festival screenings, it's 53. 53, and that's in like three weeks, right? About? Yeah. That's a lot. Four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. Okay, that's still, yeah. That's I've seen, let me think, okay. Since the last recording, I've seen... For, think on your feet. To like 20, 25. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you've, re- you've ramped it up. Like well, you haven't, like, yeah. you've, you've put your um, foot on the gas. Absolutely. It's a real, like, it's like a free bar, you know? It's like buffet mentality or whatever. Yeah. You always eat more than you want to. You're drunk on cinema, basically. I'm drunk on the power of cinema. Yeah. I keep on drinking in an all lovely cinema. And how's the quality been over the last week? Pretty I haven't spoken to you that much, you know, because you you've been hard to contact. You've just been in a cinema at, like, 95% of the time. So. Yeah. Well, I was, I was periscoping all the films I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> the beer fire onto me. Uh, yeah, it's been good. General quality's been very high. I've seen a couple of stinkers. Tell us about the stingers. I want to hear, because I think that's going to make for entertaining conversation. And that's what we try to do here. At okay, Chat, so. so absolutely worst film I saw was this film called The Eyes of My Mother, which is this low-budget uh, horror movie, which was like shot like a Chanel ad. It's all black and white and, uh, you know, angles and lighting and all very stark. But the, it was just like this really crap sort of torture pornish movie. Torture pornish? That's torture a word pornish. of... It's just like... It was just provocative for provocativeness, you know. For the sake of being For the sake of it. It was just, like, stupid. It was just this, like, hollow movie where it's like, what could, what's the most fucked up thing that can happen? Oh, it just happened. Do you think it can get any more fucked yeah. up? It did. But it's got a sort of art house gloss because yeah. it's all black and white. But then that kind of, the art house gloss kind of annoyed me because it's like, just, you know, if you're going to make a trashy, meaningless film, yeah. don't try and dress it just up. Just be Eli Roth or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that human centipede guy. That was terrible. Uh, this movie called Brimstone, which is quite starry it's got dakota fanning and guy pierce in it and karis van houten melisandre from game of thrones and yes. kit harrington turns up randomly cool. in a sort of brilliant moment where like what the fuck is kit harrington turning up he's like <laughs> he's playing like sort of cowboy john snow oh yeah exactly the same character but he's like talks a bit like this like, oh my god i spent i learned the accent on the plane over and now i'm in this movie and it's like this sort of wannabe cormac mccarthy western austere Guy Pearce is quite fun in it. He's a good actor. You can tell he's evil because he dresses entirely in black. When he's introduced, that's, that's always a sign. he's like short from like, uh, you just see like his hat and then you see his like people staring, you know, reaction shots. And he like, he's a preacher guy and he's also Dutch. So he talks with, 
quite a strange and quite creepy accent. I know you're saying this movie was bad, but everything you told me about it makes me want it's, to watch it. Was it was almost two and a half hours long. Jeez. It's in like four chapters. It goes absolutely nowhere. His character makes no sense. It's just... Who directed re- it? Uh, this guy called Martin Coolhaven. It's a pretty cool name. <laughs> hey, Martin Coolhaven. There's so much cool around here. i got to escape it. Yeah. Just enter the Coolhaven. And then I also saw Snowden, which is hilarious <laughs> so funny well we, when we discussed the trailer bit when the trailer for that came out right the director um, deputy of the cia <laughs> yeah sounds like the tall guy from uh, um the simpsons i still can't get the over car. the fact they didn't cast you as snowden you look more like snowden than joseph gordon levitt does yes i do and i'm much better at acting <laughs> yes so it's a bit of an oversight it's really funny but we but we were sort of laughing at the kind of uh corny like auto biopic lines that they do yeah yeah yeah. and is is that there's a million of them reese evans is hilarious in it he basically is doing the same performance from the amazing spider-man but as a cia operative what when he played the doctor who turns to a lizard yeah he's like the sort of avuncular guy to snowden but he's got this you know he's actually a bit dark and evil right it's exactly the same (laughs) instead of becoming a giant lizard he's just got all these secrets (laughs) and it's got this apps i don't know i would love I want people to see it just so I can just discuss, like, scene by scene what happens. It's got this mental ending with, like, Alan Ross. Is it Ross Bridger or Ross yeah, Bridger? He's in it. What, as himself? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, and so Snowden at the end. Wow, that's so weird. Uh, yeah, it's got this weird thing where, like, every scene has somebody a bit famous in it. Yeah. So, like, he goes to, like, uh, Moscow or something, and then, like, Timothy Oliphant's there as, like, sort of evil, smiley CA guy. He's like, hey, we just killed a guy, but it's all for the greater good or whatever. Yeah. Man. So I'm five exci- stars. I'm excited for it. It's so weird because they already made this like deeply chilling <laughs> documentary that's incredibly effective. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of unintentional laughter in the screening. Cool. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So American Honey. I saw this last week. Yeah, a lot I've of had... buzz. Cool, exciting uh, trailer for it that you might have seen if you've been to a movie lately. Yeah, it's zeitgeisty. It's the film of your generation. Exactly. So that's yeah. what they're marketing the generation. Uh, so this is the fourth film from Andrea Arnold, who previously directed the most recent adaptation of Withering Heights, as well as Fish Tank and Red Road. And it's written by her, but with lots of improv from the cast. And it's sort of half the cast, half her. And the plot is that the main character is this girl called Star. She's around 18. It's played by newcomer Sasha Lane. She lives with her half-brother and half-sister, an abusive dad in the Midwest in what is basically borderline poverty, if not actual, outright. outright poverty. They have a house, just about. And at a supermarket, uh, she sees a gang of energetic youths led by an enigmatic fella called Jake, played by Shia LaBeouf. And there's an immediate attraction between the two of them. And Jake offers her a job selling magazine subscriptions door-to-door as the gang travel through the Midwest. And Star does this, and the movie follows her as she joins this band of outcasts and strays as they drive around America, trying to make money, staying in dive motels, drinking hard, partying hard, and uh, generally experiencing life. Sounds like a lot of fun. And here is a clip of Star being reprimanded by the group's boss slash Jake's sorter-ish girlfriend, Crystal, played by Riley Keough, for hindering Jake when he was trying to sell some magazines earlier that day. So tell me... What was it that you don't agree with that Jake does? The lying. He ain't lying, he's selling. That's his job. I don't get what you want, you wanna make money or you don't. 
I want to make money. What? I want to make money. She just needs more time. I'm good with the wild ones, you know? I'm not a fucking cow. It costs me when you don't earn. Do you get that? This shit, the motel, the gas, everything, that costs me. And I can't run my business like that. So you show me you can do it or I'll leave you on the side of the road. Clear? Crystal. Is that a joke? No. So when I first saw uh, the movie, my immediate reaction was I was slightly underwhelmed by it. And I think that's because the ending is the weakest part of the film. And it made me think a bit lower on the film than it actually is. But in Intimating Week, it keeps on coming back to me. And I actually think it's kind of brilliant. Well, you've seen like another 30 films or something to compare it to. So. A, and this one is memorable. Yeah. And I think I was kind of misunderstanding what the film was doing. And it is flawed in some respects, but its strengths far outweigh its shortcomings. And when the film is firing on all cylinders, it's really thrilling. And all of Andrea Arnold's films are character-driven, and she has this real um, talent for working with both trained actors and unknowns and getting just amazing performances out of them. And the original choice for Star dropped out about three weeks before production, and apparently Andrea Arnold just went to spring break and found this girl and was like, you will be in my movie. And this uh, Sasha Lane is absolutely incredible in it. It's like, she's never acted before, but Andrea Arnold was like, you can do it, and she did, and it's kind of amazing and she has this really compelling mix of vulnerable and uh, audacious and you, she's a bit unknowable and the movie is two hours and 45 minutes long Jeez. and she is the focus of it and she holds your attention throughout that time which is kind of a testament to how good she is and it's also I think the best I've ever seen Shia LaBeouf in a movie oh, yeah? better than Transformers 2 better than Transformers 3 better than Nymphomaniac Part 1 don't be ridiculous um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really brilliant casting because Andrea Arnold has this trope in her movies of the sort of enigmatic but volatile male character. I mean, in Withering Heights is Heathcliff, which is maybe the prototype volatile male character. But so he's perfectly cast and just his mixture of intensity and charisma just suits the character brilliantly. And I saw a few reviews which were a bit sniffy about his performance though, being a bit OTT, but I think he's actually really good in it, really underplaying it. And Riley Keough kind of steals the movie as Crystal. She's probably best known as um, the girl with the red hair in Mad Max. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's Elvis's... Sort of engineer. Yeah, one. she's yeah. Elvis's granddaughter. Did you know that? Nope. Well, she is. explains why she has such presence, perhaps. She's got some of that king's presence. Uh, she's king's blood. Because she's like this like kind of small... I think maybe a bit younger than some of the gang, but she's just got this such a steely quality that, that everyone's a bit afraid of her. And she completely sells that. And there's also, she's the only one of the characters who kind of hasn't got her head in the clouds so much. There's a slight kind of undercurrent of melancholy to her because she, like, knows that her life is a bit shared and isn't going anywhere. And that's not really in the writing. It's all in her performance. And so she was amazing. And supplementing the cast of this band of completely... um, untrained actors i think andrea arnold is just her casting processes going places and finding people she likes and they do uh in the nicest way possible they look real like they some of them are missing teeth they're not some of them aren't that attractive they yeah. have like bad skin and the way that's integrated with like there's no it's not like oh here comes the trained actor and here comes this guy who she just found on the street it's completely even in their performances and that authenticity is hard to replicate but also hard to translate and she's managed to do that. And I think Andrea Arnold is 
sort of in that lineage of social realist British filmmakers like Ken Loach or Mike Lee in that she just has that thing that she's just good with actors. It's a bit like no one ever says the performances were bad in a Ken Loach movie yeah, yeah. or a Mike Lee film. And a similar thing, Andrea Arnold has that. It's also a really beautiful film. Robbie Ryan was a DOP, who I think we've talked about on the podcast before. He did, he did Catch, Catch Me Daddy, which we... He did Catch Me Daddy. He did the upcoming I, Daniel Blake. And he's sort of come up with Andrea Arnold. He did Wasp, her short, and has done all her films... And he has this style, uh, which I guess is sort of her style, of a mixture of realism and sort of poetic beauty. And so she's in love with nature. And it's a bit like something that is true of this movie and true of something like Fish Tank is a counselor's state is like perhaps not that beautiful looking, but she would find a spider web. Or if there's any light, you know, she wouldn't shoot the dark corner. She'd shoot the light coming through the... Uh, windows if you know what i mean yeah she always yeah. finds the beauty in everything yeah well catch me daddy is very much like that because it's uh set in these like horrible caravans and um yorkshire moors and stuff like that yeah yeah done in this um very yeah mystic kind of way yeah i think that's sort of his thing and it really works and it's also a film that really uses close-ups in a very effective way and it's really intimate and immediate and it's a real gift to make things seem spontaneous but they're actually like really well composed and that mm. sort of thing where it's obviously super well thought out but just feels like shot on the hoof. To broadly generalize, I think art house movies run a bit longer if you were going to like describe one way they're different from more commercial stuff. And it can sometimes be a cheap way to make scenes seem more important just by having them be emphasized by being longer. But this film is very clever at sort of mining tension and keeping the stakes going. And the device of them going door to door selling magazines, meaning they're like entering these strangers' homes there's also like a bit of a sort of tour of America and it's very sort of 2015. It kind of captures the Midwest, but also has this tension of something will happen and it won't just cut or like the scene will play out and the awkwardness will ratchet up or whatever. And then something else will happen. But in between these uh, sort of sequence moments, there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say dull, but like less content driven scenes because it captures uh, some of the banality of just driving around and they have to take these long road trips between motels and you could question how important these scenes are but they sort of lead to the more thrilling scenes and it's like you it has to be less interesting for it to become more interesting and it sure. kind of ebbs and flows as i started writing about this film i felt i was just like making a defense that was all critic proof because it's like it's both profound and sort of dumb subtle and on the nose a bit dull and then really exciting but it's all of a piece it's a bit like uh, a band's gone into a recording studio for a weekend and made a great album and not all the songs are as well produced as some of them but they're all of a whole and the rough with this move kind of works but there, it is definitely a little too long and I think the problem with it being too long is that some of the devices that work earlier on the movie seem a bit trite so like the photographing of nature that happens in the film you know once you've seen the seventh shot of a beetle running over a pavement it just feels like that's a visual tick of the film rather than actually part of the overall tapestry of it if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. and it also ends in a way uh it's kind of like it ends and it ends again and i think when a movie's that long you sort of feel the ending coming and then you suspect oh is this scene going to be the end and then it's not in a way that sort of undercuts it but it's also why i think i misunderstood the film is like it's not really searching for an ending it's more about them going on this journey which sounds incredibly wanky it's more about the journey than the destination yeah. but that's sort of what the point is and so it's not really traveling towards that ending it just ends and like you've experienced these characters journeys and you imagine it would go on a bit more it's like a story is a 
piece of string and you just snip the end and the start. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's really strong. I would really recommend it. It's not quite as good as Fish Tank. I think that's almost like it's got similar themes and it's like Fish Tank is the sort of perfect movie and this feels like the uh, Gone to America slightly more money kind of movie in some respects. This is the Aladdin sing to Fish Tank's <laughs> Ziggy Stardust. Yes. It's got its own merits and I think it's really worth seeing just for the performances alone. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. The film, like this review, is rambling. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And profound. Sometimes it's profound. Sometimes it's stupid. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little dumb. But it's well-meaning. Yeah. And his heart's in the right place. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey, Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are going to help you out. you got to come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, Don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Okay, so I saw another film. I don't go to the cinema like Danny does 18,000 times a day. I sit on my sofa and I browse Netflix. And recently released on Netflix was a documentary called 13th, directed by Ava DuVernay, who um, directed Selma quite recently. Is this the first film chat where we've had two female-directed movies? What? Pretty cool. Progressive film chat. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, she made this documentary with some funding from Netflix, and I think it's had something, some kind of cinematic release, but not a very wide one. Not well, it, there was one showing at the LFF. Oh, was there? Last, be- the night before it went on Netflix. I feel like there's been a, some kind of general release of it, but, like, only in a couple of cinemas or something like that, like yeah. one picture house. I don't know. I think they do that just so it gets written about. Yeah, probably, yeah. It's sort of an excuse for all the critics to review it in broadsheets and stuff. Yeah, yeah it makes absolutely. sense. It's a quite sweeping documentary about the history of race in America, and it draws this thread from um, the abolition of slavery all the way through to the present day, and it covers a, a huge amount of ground. Um, it's extremely good. It does its, um, marshals its material really, really well. And the central concept is about the... Um, uh, is basically that the system of oppression known as slavery was abolished but then transformed into different systems of oppression that uh, throughout the history um, of the 20th century and up until the present day and the the title is a reference to the 13th amendment of the u.s constitution which is the one that abolishes slavery but there's this caveat in the sentence which abolishes slavery where it says no man can be enslaved except uh, unless as punishment for a crime Mm. and that there essentially is a kind of slavery system in america that operates and it's it's basically criminals who are in prison they can be made to do labor for free and the film makes this argument that the american state has um kept control over black people throughout the 20th century basically by um portraying them as criminals and locking them up in ever greater numbers and they start off, the film starts with this incredible statistic that the United States has tw- like 25% of everyone who's in prison is in prison in the United States. <laughs> so like globally, 25% yeah. of the world's prisoners are in the US. The US has like 2 million people. It's um, crazy. It's crazy. Sorry. <laughs> there, there are 2 million prisoners in, um, in the United States. And uh, the film really puts that number into perspective and it's, it's very, it's very, very effective in the way that it bashes you with the statistics. It's easy yeah. for movies to get a bit dry with their statistics. Sure. And I also think that this is a slight ramble now, but like, 
a lot of movies which are statistics driven those kind of like awareness documentaries that want to tell you all the facts and figures um like an inconvenient truth or something like that they do it with fun exciting graphics you know people popping up everywhere and like Mm. you know crazy powerpoint slide kind of thing and this movie has something of that it has a lot of animated text and stuff but it's done in a very like um it's all done in black and white and it looks like chalk and it's very direct and it's paced really well so when they're sort of unveiling the next shocking number they like give it a little time to kind of like land yeah and um as the the movie kind of the first half of the film basically goes chronologically through the 19th century and the 20th century um and uh it goes through um basically the start of the period of mass incarceration which it, it sort of starts with nixon um and then through reagan and then george hw bush and then clinton and then in each um through each decade or each period of 10 or five years they come up with a new number of the total number of um black americans who are in prison and uh and it sort of like um flicks through the screen like a slot machine kind of thing yeah yeah um and uh and it just like the next number kind of lands and it starts at like three hundred thousand people and then like uh, you know 10 years later it's like five hundred thousand people and that's like <laughs> the end of nixon's thing and then it just like goes up and up and uh yeah it's a very it's an extremely well argued film and i think it's it's very impressive the way that it covers so much ground without feeling like it's uh, too flimsy. It reminded me a little bit of an Adam Curtis documentary. Uh, Adam Curtis is this uh, uh, independent documentary filmmaker who um, does a lot of similar similar things which have like big scope and which he draws like one narrative thread over a very long um, period. And here's a very big picture in a way that can almost seem like conspiratorial at times where you know he sort of is like painting this like large swathe of history with this theme of uh they're using fear to control you or something like that um and you kind of bind the narrative or you don't but you don't feel like it's completely built with evidence it's kind of constructed with archive footage yeah whereas this movie has the same sweep but um the argument is made very simply and very convincingly it doesn't there's nothing that feels conspiratorial about it it feels like it'd be very hard to refute it's just sort of laid in front of you and it's a very powerful argument that's very robust and very easy to understand and uh, delivered extremely effectively. And I, I thought it was great. I, it, it doesn't really like bash you over the head with the emotional content of it. Or it, it sort of does, but in it, it just in a kind of gentle way, like it just presents this stuff with a bit of space. Yeah. And um, like a little bit of music. Um, yeah. So is Ava DuVernay in it? Does she interview people or? Basically, the it's a combination of archive footage and interviews. Ava DuVernay, I think, might do some voiceover, but she's you don't have, I don't think you ever see her. It's just like talking heads basically to camera, um, and there's loads of different academics and and people talking, um, who are, they're all kind of telling the same story, and it's all kind of woven together. And they have a few kind of con- contrary voices, um, which I think the film is trying to present fairly, but also obviously completely disagrees with them so yeah um, we'll never present them saying something without rebutting it by someone else saying you know. yeah yeah there's been a, a bit of the clip of the movie has been shared quite widely um recently the movie is particularly timely way because it deals a bit with donald trump who is uh, has his own history of um uh being a racist of being a racist exactly <laughs> there's a there's a clip from the movie which has been shared on twitter quite a bit and stuff and it's basically this um a series of bits from his speeches where he's talking he's sort of reminiscing about the good old days when you could kick protesters uh yeah. around and stuff and deal with protesters and they 
juxtaposed clips of Trump supporters throwing out black protesters from rallies with like um, black uh, civil rights protesters being pushed around in the streets um, in you know Birmingham in the sixties or whatever, and uh, and I don't know. It's very it's like terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying to watch it, and it's so um, it's I think it's probably the most effective I've ever seen the clownishness taken away from Trump and the more sort of authoritarian um fascistic side to him presented and also the way that he slots so neatly into that um history of uh political racism in the in the United States it's like absolutely impossible to deny so the 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 way that it throws some light on his current candidacy is yeah, yeah, is absolutely. also um quite interesting and feels really relevant and they 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 go over quite a few of the um the recent killings of black Americans by police as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very good. I mean, I didn't, you know, it didn't convince me of anything that I wasn't already thinking. But well, um, that's all like just... a good documentary has to be. Really, it's, if it to do its job, it's just you know, it's told the story well in yeah. a formative way. And it, you know, I think I was just very impressed by how big picture it is, but also how by how robust it feels. Yeah, and it's it feels like. It doesn't feel like it's had to simplify. I mean, obviously, it has simplified its material, but it's just like does not feel like it's had to sacrifice um, its argument to do so. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend you check it out. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's another bit of correspondence that we had. We've saved it to the end. So it's going to be a little treat at the end of this podcast. Chris Young wrote into us. He says, Film Chatters. Can we please discuss Fantastic Beasts? Particularly, how the fuck are they going to string five movies out of one flimsy 130-page non-story? Chris is referring to some recent news that, um, well, J.K. Rowling announced through the Fantastic Beasts Twitter page that the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the Film, which is about to come out, will be the first of a quintology, quintology. a five-film uh, you know, series, um, all following the adventures of Eddie Redmayne in his little suitcase or something, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's it's there's something kind of funny about it because it's uh, in this pattern now of announcing not just one sequel but loads at a time, which has always seemed films. really really strange. Um, like James Cameron did with Avatar. Um, yeah, I mean, it is very hubristic, but I guess maybe the connection to the actual the the charity book, right? Fantastic Beasts, where the final was like a sort of comic relief book for you could buy for a quid yeah which is like this sort of textbook about animals in the harry potter world it's obviously just came with this idea for this magical zoologist and just i think the title's the only thing right there's no adaption it's just it's the author sort of, it's, it's just, just the name newt yeah, scamander yeah, yeah. so you know she wrote she had a, I, when she came with harry potter right she thought i was gonna write seven of these so she's got form and writing well, there's equating. a theory about how the five uh, film series is going to play out. What? Which is on Birth Movie's death. Hit me with it. Hit me with the theory. R.O.P. Farachi. Devin Farachi, by the way. R. Throwing, R. Off, throwing off that website for his history of sexual assault. R.O.P. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> Don't uh, grab people's vaginas. That's probably not the correct It's fucked up, response. man. 
Um, but anyway, so there was a IMAX featurette about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I haven't watched it. Uh, this guy from Birth Movies, Birth Movies Death has done so. And his theory is that the um, these uh, Fantastic Beast movies are going to serve as prequels to the events of Harry Potter, ultimately. Fuck. And they will follow a young um, Dumbledore and uh, young Grindelwald, probably boning. Yeah. And uh, and that's going to chart the course of these five films. And he's noticed that this movie is set in 1960, uh, 1926, and that is the year of Voldemort's birth. So maybe there'll what? be some baby Voldemort action. Um, Shit. Unless they like, skip forwards every 10 years, like the X-Men movies or something like that. So that could be... Do you think there's going to be a really cute baby and he's going to, like, you know, have a magical butterfly be like, or whatever? And he's like, what a charming little baby. And he's like, what's his name? He's like, Tom Malvolo Riddle. Yeah, exactly. Like, Fuck! It's going to be like, we need to talk about Kevin, <laughs> you know, Harry Potter version. You need about Tom. Yes, kids. we need to talk about Tom Malvolo Riddle. But I think the one thing that I like about this news is that it's a title that has tantalizing possibilities in terms of sequels names. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. A bit like the Fast and Furious franchise, where you feel like they got a bit carried away with all the different ways they can manipulate. Yeah, it's so unwieldy to begin with that it really takes a lot of effort to crowbar in the sort of sequel nature. Well, it's a bit hard to come up with a pattern that works, so they just try a bunch of like random stuff. So I've got a few sequels, uh, possible sequels, names, options. They could be Lame expanded a little bit. I don't have any faith in this as podcast material. No, no, no. It's, it's be coming great. out of my mouth. Well, the second one, well, I think the obvious way is more Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, too. (laughs) (laughs) Which you'd have to italicize and underline a bit like he's just not that into you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to make sure that's correct. That's perfect. Even more Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, also. (laughs) That'll be the third one. I was also thinking that the next Fantastic Beasts movie could be a prequel yeah and that one would be called fantastic beasts and how to rule them all and then it'd be the fantastic beasts and how to find them and then the next film would be called fantastic beasts and how to bring them all and in the darkness bind them it's a lord of the rings jake (laughs) pretty cool you're the coolest guy i know yeah i thought that was that's the sort of um radio that gets you laid and uh the other thing would be five separate movies and they're just different things that are fantastic yeah Fantastic bread, and where to buy that? <laughs> Fantastic breast, <laughs> and where to where to look at the <laughs> where to cuff them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how Warner Brothers is going to go with it. JK's probably going to have some input. All right, guys, that's it. That's it. Join us next week where we'll be reviewing I Daniel Blake. Oh yeah, and Queen of Catway. Cool. Well, I don't need to do Jack because Danny's obviously got that covered. A I movie did, I did see I Daniel Blake that will though. make you cry. And a movie that'll make you think, ah, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sure. (laughs) Bye. Bye.